living word. We're coming back better than we went in. But we, it's a we, living word. We now have to function like this as a church. We need to, as a church, function like this. We can't come back on this comeback. Not focus on being restorers. God don't do all of this for us to go, we back, hallelujah, praise the Lord, God kept me. See, that's selfish. If I hold on to you and blessed you, protected your back, surrendered you from being touched by Satan, when you come back, be restorers. Because not everybody trusted God like you. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, man. Good morning. Yeah, man, look. I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I woke up this morning. And that's, that's crazy in itself, right? And then we get a chance to be in church and worship together, and that's also crazy by itself. And then God allowed you and elected you to be his, and that is crazy by itself. So let me say it one more time. Good morning. There we go. Now, I'm excited about this series because this series is going to challenge me as well as you. And what I mean by that is what I mean by being challenged is even in the study of it, it took me a while, y'all. We're, we're, so I'm doing my very best to make sure that you are out on time. I know that second service is very conscious of it, but I'm going to tell you today that you're going to get the professor in me, the one who teaches at a Bible college today, because there is so much to this passage that it requires your attention. Now, if you are a little sleepy, I pray that you wake up. There is some application to this message, but please don't be alarmed. This message is powerful. It's beautiful all by itself because there's no word of God that is created and inspired that won't change your life. Now, this series about church, it's time to come back to church. It's not just about your physical presence, but it's actually about the church and why and what is church? What is Ecclesia? What is what God created? What is what he structured? And my prayer is that you will be excited because for the first time in a long time, we get to not only define church well, we get to say why we are here in the first place. So my pray that your hearts are open. Let us dive into the word of God and let us enjoy the Word of God, because it is here to convict and it's here to sh it is sharpen the double-edged sword. So let us be split today. Dearly Father, we are thankful because you still want to speak with us. We, we, we could have attended church 30 years and you're still trying to speak to us. There, th just in the sermon itself, not because of Pierre Cannes, but only by your word, there is grace. Because no matter what we've done all week, the sins we've committed, the experiences we've had, or the distance we created, you still want to bring us back unto yourself through the word of God. So God, I pray that every heart in here is not only excited about you wanting to speak through your word, that my heart is vulnerable, my heart is receptive to what you once said, because the meditations of my heart have nothing to, or should be everything to give you glory. God, I am, I am just a vessel, broken, but know that I am molded and shaped by you. So I pray that everything that flows out is your living water. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was at a uh, swimming pool the other day, or let me say a splash pad, because I got to set the scene for you, because this is important. Um, I'm going to warn our culture real quick. Be careful what, what, um, what sayings you take from your parents, because sometimes they just don't make sense. And I'm going to warn you before I say it, because I've never heard this. I've never heard this saying before, but I guess it's a real one. So I was at this um, splash pad at a birthday party. Kids are running around having a, bla a blast. But remember, a splash pad is not where there's deep water. So I just want to make sure that you get that before I start this illustration. The splash pad is just basically a pad where things are splashing. It's nothing to do. So the, all the kids are running around and they had these two Tupperwares. These two Tupperwares, I guess you would say that they were made for like, I guess, putting in water balloons, but they were filling it up with water. I mean, maybe, maybe a foot worth of water. 
And then all of a sudden, there's like kids running around. She had to be maybe around two years old, and they were sitting in the Tupperware. Now, sitting in Tupperware is not swimming. Sitting in Tupperware is not like where it's dangerous, where you are on four or five foot of water and you're only two feet. So in my head, everybody was safe. At this point, this is when parents don't necessarily have to watch their kids because you can't drown. But not this mama. This mama saw her two-year-old that stands two foot, three foot tall and looked at that girl in the Tupperware and said, girl, you best get out that Tupperware before you drown and become a statistic. I said, what statistic, ma'am? There's no statistics for Tupperware drowning. That's number one. Uh, Number two, she wasn't swimming. She was sitting and having a great time. What danger did you see in that one foot of water? Uh, That's not swimming, ma'am. But I kept my own. I didn't say anything. Guess what? That girl got out of the Tupperware and went right into the other one that had only six inches of water as the mom watched so carefully to make sure that her child didn't become a statistic. I just wanted to make sure that everybody in the sanctuary and online was in agreement that that's not swimming. But I also want to make sure that everyone on this church and online knows that some of us ain't having church. That we're in Tupperware, we actually sit in the Tupperware, and there is some water here, but some of us aren't necessarily doing church. We look like it, but we're just a statistic. We come, and people will yell and say, hey, we are statistics because our behinds are sitting in the sanctuary and online, so we count you when you come in, but not necessarily are you swimming. So I want to challenge you today that we can really do Ecclesia Church. I want to challenge us because I pray that you are actually swimming, that you're not just sitting in some shallow water and calling it church. So in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read verse 16 through verse 18, and we're going to talk about what church is because some of us are just sitting in Tupperware. It says this in verse 6, we'll read verse 18. I'm going to bring 17 into it. I'll also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock you shall build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, this is probably one of the most complicated and conflicting passages you will hear in a long time. Now, Dr. Tony Evans preached it at Acts 2 Houston and absolutely made it seem simple until I studied it. It's his fault. He makes everything seem simple until you actually study it for yourself. But I blame him because I tried to listen back to it, and I was like, there's no way I can repeat what he said. So you're only going to get the chance to hear Pierre today because I tried. And my voice is just not that distinct. It's kind of high-pitched, but you're going to get a little bit of Tony Evans. Watch this. Let's start here. What was Peter's name before he started? He says it in verse 17 for you. You're like, Pierre, why is this important? Because confession matters and name change matters. And you're going to say, why does it matter? And watch this in verse 17. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Now, you're like, hey, that's not important because he says his name and then he says where he's from. Now, or says uh, a, a part of where he's from. Now, that's cool. That's great. But then he changes his name and says, hey, Peter, Petra, I want you to understand something really quick. That word Petra is not used very often, and it's only used for Christ, so now you should be a tad bit confused. So when we talk about this word Petra and his name changing from Simon to Peter, you also have to ask what happened before that. What happened before that was Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And and they say, who do you say that I am? They say, well, they say you're this, that, and the other. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. So the moment upon his confession, when Peter recognizes only God-given inspiration, only the mystery of God was given to Peter, and when that was said, when he confessed with his mouth, then it made sense why his name had to change. Now remember, this is not the first time where they called his name Peter. That was earlier in the book. So this is not the first time Peter has heard his name Peter, but this is the first time he knew why. I know this is a lot, y'all, but bear with me. Because some of us know that we've changed when we got saved, but this is the first time you might hear why. Some of you know that your behavior was supposed to change when you got married, but some of us don't know why. Some of us know we need to come to church, but we don't know why. And Peter, for the first chance, is not necessarily what you think. His confession, now hear me, 
Jesus is only the rock and the cornerstone of the church. You can't take his position. Peter is not becoming the rock of the church. His confession confirms Jesus is the rock that he will use Peter to build on top of himself. Now, now this is deep, and I understand, but I want you to get this because sometimes we have a tendency to think we are what we are not. But Jesus was making it very, very clear, I am letting you know your role. Now, you're like, well, Pierre, Pierre yeah, Peter had, a, P, Peter had a role that was only fulfilled through his confession. I keep repeating that because I want you to understand, however, his role is distinct. His role is to be the representation of Jesus Christ on earth. Be careful how I say this. And he was given a role while he was here. Okay, I know that's a lot. But it's important to, as we dive deeper. So not only was he his representation, he had this role where the eschatological people of salvation, both Jew and Gentile, which we'll talk about later, he was supposed to fulfill that. And you see that all throughout the book of Acts. So therefore, Peter said, hey, I don't, because you, do you know what happens right after this, right? We, we preached this the other day. Right after this, Peter gets referred to as Satan. So he confused what his role really was, and we'll, we talked about that. So you have to go a couple weeks back and figure out how you can jack up your own role. You know how you mess up your own role real quick? It's when you start thinking you're Jesus. He confused that he was building upon a foundation and started thinking he was the foundation is the best choice of words. And, and we, we don't have to do that application, but let's get back to it. The rock, I want you to understand, symbolizes what? Stability and defense and a refuge. So when, when he's saying this, he's saying, I am the rock, but I will use you, Peter, to represent and not only represent, to fulfill a role in my absence. So when I leave, I need you to do something. So the first question you should be boggling your mind with right now is what did Jesus want Peter to do? The second thing you should be asking yourself is, while we are living in the eschatological church, while we are living in the church after Jesus rose from the dead and went up to heaven, when he transcended into heaven, what should be our roles? Now, I have to read this scripture. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and he calls you something too. He doesn't use the word petra, though. He uses the word lithos. In the word lethos, I know you're like, why is it important? Because lethos, he calls you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, this is who you are. He says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Watch these words. Through Jesus Christ. So he said, Peter, you are Petra. That means his, he's more distinct in his role than Lethos. So R is that we are, he was a big rock. That means his foundational piece within the church, you're going to find out in the book of Acts, was massive. Peter was necessary. And if you look at the book of Acts, which we will do when he binds and looses things, you'll realize how big his role was. But he had to get that promotion. Guess what you got when you got saved? You went from your name to this thing called lethos, a living stone on earth, so that when people look at the people who have accepted the free gift of salvation, when they see you, they're supposed to see a stone. But they're supposed to see a living stone. There's, there's a difference between a dead stone and a living stone, and there's only one resemblance, that when people see you, you should be moving. That when they see you, we should be a conglomerate of stones. Now, this is what I'm stealing from Dr. Tony Evans, is that you as us, as lethos, we are the conglomerate. We are the ones that multiple stones get together to make up the defense and a holy priesthood. That when people look at you, you should be fulfilling your role. But what is your role? Not only are you a living stone, you are a holy priesthood. Now, if you know the word priesthood, this is fast. Y'all going to get a lot of definitions in a little bit of time. He said, if you know the priesthood, the priesthood was the intercessor between God's presence and the people. So when he says you are now a holy priesthood, now you are a set-apart priesthood that you're supposed to be the intercessor for those who are not saved to the presence of God. So if you are transitioned, meaning you have accepted your free gift, people are supposed to see you and see the intercession or see the opportunity to get to Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. Now, the question now boils down to, are you fulfilling your role? You know what I think, church? I think people have become comfortable in the gospel, but not spreading it. Hear me. 
that we all have it, we accept it, and we want it, but we don't spread it. So you're not necessarily functioning in your priesthood role. You have accepted that that's your name changed, but you haven't done nothing about it. So therefore, when I start digging into the rest of these passages, you're going to realize that you have a similar role as Peter, even though you're not the Petra. That we should be, when people see you at your job, when you walk, when you talk, they should be saying, what presence have they been in that I need to get to? But when people look at your life and you look very normal, that means although you have accepted the name change, your role hasn't changed. Let me give you the best example. There are, there's a situation that happens right here and back there and everywhere, and many of us got married and went to Vegas. Whatever you did, that's on you. You got married, though, because after you got married, the lady's name changed. My wife's changed from Fernandez to Cannings. I'm glad that she likes that last name. It has a little English to it. It's dope. Shows my abuginism. It's a new word. Look it up in the Greek. In my abuginism, she took my last name. And the reason why she took my last name is not only because she accepted me as her husband, her role changed. Hear me. My role changed as husband, her role changed as wife. But if she just took my name but still lived single, how many of you would think that her last name was Canning's in the first place? So I guess what I'm saying is that some of us have accepted the bride of Christ, that we, the church, is the bride of Christ. Some of us love the fact that we walk down the altar, wear our white dress, and God made us pure enough to walk down and meet us here. And we didn't mind the name change, we just didn't want our role to. We still wanted to live single, and God's like, wait a second, you missed the reason for your name change. You Not only are you a holy priesthood, he says, then you are a spiritual sacrifice. That means your life ain't yours. Man, this is, this is a funny thing in postmodernism where everybody wants the name change but don't want to change their life. But not only don't they want to change their life, they don't want to give up anything in it. It's like having separate bank accounts, talking about, oh, we in this together. No, you not. You in yours and I'm in mine's. No, I don't want to sacrifice what I, what I was before I got married. No, 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 no. That's, that's ours. Now, let me get off of that because that, that can make people uncomfortable before. That's not even a scriptural issue. It gets deeper. Because he not only tells him in 1 Peter 2, 5 what he was, then he gets back and he says, hey, Peter, verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. That's why I love how he said, you are. This is what you are. This is your role. This is your representation. And upon this rock, I will build, watch these next words, my church. There's two pronouns you need to hear real quick. I will build my church. And before I even dive into the word church, let's get to the word I and will. And then the next word is build. Let's stay on the swimming illustrations, will you? When you were young, some of us still can't swim. If you can swim, raise, that's great. Don't raise your hand. You're not that great. But what you, if you can, there's a couple ways in which people taught you how to swim. Some old school couples or men or women just throw you in the water and say, figure it out. It's not safe. Then you will become a statistic. Okay? And it's funny, the people that usually throw their kids in there, throw their kids in there because they can't swim and they don't want to get in the water with them. We'll leave that alone for another day. But if you really wanted to teach the kid how to swim, you would give them floaties, right? A life vest. Then you would get in there and you would put your hands underneath them so gently. Then you would teach them how to kick. And then you would teach them how to move their hands. And then you would teach them how to do all the Olympics things we've seen on TV. You would teach them how to swim. But the life vest works if you can't swim, parents. You know why the life vest works? It's because even if you throw them in here, the life vest is built. So that even though they may go underwater for a second, they're always going to come back up. See, the church was built. So although by yourself you can go underwater, but the vest was supposed to pull you back up. But see, when we miss church, when we start saying church is not necessary, and then you wonder why you are, I guess, experiencing the drowning feeling. And you are struggling on your own. That means you can't make it by yourself. Then you start to realize why this church was built. Because before Jesus left, he put you in a life vest. 
And when he put you in the life vest, even though you would experience some water, even though the water may cover you at times, even though the waves may kick up against you, you always going to stay on top. But if you take the life vest off, if you start saying this church is unnecessary, I'm not talking about Living Word Fellowship Church. I'm going to give you five different ways in which church was defined in the New Testament because I want you to get all of them. I'm just not talking about attending the church. I'm talking about the universal church. That means you're salvific. You are saved into the universal church. Universal meaning everyone that is saved is a part of one church. So therefore, if you take, I don't need the life vest, and like, why did you get saved? You were birthed into the church. This pandemic has taught us a lot, right? It's taught us about loneliness and not being able to be a part of the life vest. My prayer is that when I define these words for you, it says, I will build my church. The word build means to construct. I know it's not hard for you. You've seen this all over Houston. If you lived in Houston long enough, you know that we're always under construction. If you've been on 610, it's never fixed. That's, now, that's a real word. Like, I don't, nobody should ever use 610. It says, I will build, I will construct my church. And Peter, guess what? I'm letting you know what you're, I'm defining your what? Your role. I will build my church on you. Oh, man. So if Peter doesn't accept, because you know what happens after this. He did, not only did he say, get behind me, Satan. On top of that, he denies Jesus. And then Jesus has to come back to him and say what? Peter, do you love me? Then he says, Peter, if you love me, then you will take care of my sheep. So I still want you to fulfill your role. So if we dive in really quickly, Peter's job was to build, be a part of the construction of the church. And I will prove that to you later. He says, I want you to play a fundamental role in this build, but it's me who is building it. Oh, Pierre Cannings is not building it. You know what, pastors these days, we think we build churches. We think if we can, through our personalities and our preaching styles and how much social media presence we have, we can build church. And God's looking at you, no, you, you missed it. I'm going to build my universal church. It is not yours. It is not Pastor Canning's. It is not Living Words Only. It is a universal church that I am building. I can only do that. The problem with Christianity today is that we start building our own church and then we start having conferences trying to teach people how to build a church. But teaching people techniques and different principles that are not biblical only to build a falsely constructed church. There's only one constructor. There's only one Bob the Builder. Do you understand what I'm saying? The issue is, are you reading the manuscript on how to build it? This is what I, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a transparent moment. Y'all have experienced offering here, okay? Um, pastor has a way of doing offering that's not, it's very unique to living word. Not only do we not pass the plate, y'all got that. This is not about tithing. Don't turn off. It's not about tithing y'all friend. But he always gives y'all a verse. I don't know if y'all recognize that. So even on vacation, guess what? I got to come and I, even though I have to give you a verse because pastor always wants you to know the what, the why. So I'm, I'm, I'm using that so you can understand, but that means now you can envision our meetings as the assistant pastor of this church. Our meetings could probably last maybe five to ten minutes. Maybe. Tops. Pierre, I need you to go do this. That's all in my heart I think I need. <laughs> Thank you. Developing this. Um, Jordan Washington is now helping with discipleship, and he's doing a great job, but his meetings last a long time, and it's both of their faults. <laughs> if you know Jordan, you know what I'm talking about. Kiran's experience. Everybody in the church, I was his child. I am his child, and I have experienced the wise for three to four hours at a time. Because you, pastor doesn't just give you what you need to do. He wants you to understand the why you're doing it. Now, he may say it three times in the same sentence and paragraph, but he's still going to say it. Pastor doesn't want you just to not know the why, and Jesus doesn't want you not to know why the church exists. 
that you should be able to sit through a meeting and understand why you do what you do, why you give, why you worship, why we sing, why do we go and do life application classes, why do we want to build community, why, why, why. But the problem with church is that we just want to be attendees. We don't want to understand why. We just want to know, like, do me, tell me what I got to go do to fix this marriage real quick, Pierre. Get me out of here. I want a 15-minute meeting. Get me out. You better preach that word, but preach it fast. But God's like, wait, you're, you don't want to know why? You don't, you don't want to know why you sit in these pews? You don't want to know why we sing songs? You don't want to know anything. But we... <laughs> but... For those online, my dad just said, tell them. <laughs> but I don't want to tell you the re- man, look. <laughs> you don't need to repeat it either, Pastor, but let's keep going. Um, he said, I will build, watch these words, my church. Whose? I've established that as a, as a possessive pronoun. You got that. It's my, but now let's define the word church. So then you need to ask yourself, am I fulfilling my role in what he built as his church? Because now this should be the biggest question after a pandemic. Now this should be the biggest question as we get a chance to reset and restart. Now let's be honest. What did God teach us during the pandemic? Hopefully you missed church, but hopefully you missed the right things about it. Because you don't, some of us miss the people, great, that's a part of it. Some of us maybe miss the sermons, you got that online, that's why people are still staying at home, because they can get the sermon at home. So therefore, if they think church is a sermon, that means it's all based on how well me and Pastor Cannons preach, that means you can get that at home and you can turn it off or pause it when you don't like the sermon, because you don't even know what church is in the first place. So therefore, let's, let's redefine church. What I love about the pandemic is that it allowed us to reset. Second, it's going to hurt some feelings. Some people may never come back. And no offense, hear me out. If they don't come back, that means they didn't know what church was in the first place. And if we think it's optional, then we didn't know what church was in the first place. Here it is. I'm sorry. I know that was a, kind of a stinger. But church, the word ecclesia. I know that people just use random Greek words, but it matters because it not only means, it means the first, the global community of Christians, the universal church. Then you can say, but it's kin. We become family. Oh, this is good. You become kin, not because of your blood, but not because, because of the living water. You know, I say blood is thicker than water, but not when it comes to the church. That that living water, if you have accepted God's free gift of salvation, then that means you became family whether you like us or not. You know what's funny? Is that just like we treat our family, we treat church people too. Some of us have learned how to even kick church family out of our own lives. Aunties and uncles you don't like, you dismiss. So therefore, it makes sense why America's church, when you don't like the family that you chose to be a part of, some of us learn to do what? Get out of it. We make it some reason, we stop attending, we create the distance, and we move on because you got plenty to select from. But if you look at the New Testament church, guess what they did? They stuck at the church for a lifetime. It was a lifetime decision. It was a family membership that you chose to be an uncle, auntie, mommy, and cousin. This was what you were supposed to do. But you were only brought together by, watch these words, one gift through Jesus Christ. So therefore, when we get to the next part of this passage, which I need to expedite through this point, once you get to the next point of this passage, you'll realize that why he can say the gates of Hades will never prevail. Because we were supposed to stay together. So therefore, if there's multiple gates and you got people keep opening them and leaving them, then you have to wonder why Satan is having a free reign today. That we were knit together by his sonship. We were knit together by his willingness to die on the cross for our sins and raise three days later. That is important. That's why he says, my church, because the only way you have church is by his sacrifice. Okay? Hear this out. We can't experience life without his sacrifice, and neither can we experience church. So that's why if you were to look at certain churches and look at America's churches, there's sometimes a reason why we have to what? Make you excited. But in reality, if you recognize it was his church and the only reason you were invited into his universal church and his local church is because he died to give you life to be a part of the community and his blood makes you thicker than water because of his living water. If you knew that, 
Nothing should have to get you up to be here. There's no alarm clock. You should be just as excited to go make your six figures to come to a church that has millions of people. My point is, is that some of us don't know what church is. That's why we have to wake you up when you get here. Because if you realize the only reason you were invited through those doors was not because they were open. It's because Jesus Christ died to get them open for you. Like, his blood opened that door. And I'm not talking about physical blood and opening up physical doors. I'm talking about you were invited into a church. So when you get here and they say, let's worship, you're like, well, I was waiting for that. You're taking too long. Can I tell you all something, second service? <clears throat> we love y'all. So before I say something, we family. I told you that. I established that so I didn't get in trouble with this next statement. So I'm not pointing at any individuals. But I am saying is that we as second service recognize that we have an 11 o'clock service, but it doesn't necessarily mean 11. We know that it means right around 1130. (laughs) Because people haven't made church what? As long as I don't miss the word. I had church. Y'all, don't tell me I'm lying. This is the truth. But in reality, if you think through church, church was all about the community. And not only that, you should be having community all week long. That's number one. Number two, you're so excited to get here when the doors open because it's not about the sermon. It's about the church. So if church was only the sermon, then, then we should just stand up and preach and let you go home. Ah, y'all. I'm, see, I can tell I stepped on some toes here. 11 o'clock, you know, I love you. Let's just go through some quick definitions for you so I can move on before I get beat up after church. Church. Sometimes it just referred to a meeting of a group of believers where two or three are gathered, then they had church. You know, it's funny how America makes all about membership. The first question you get asked when you attend a pastor's meeting is how many members do you have? But if they knew that Jesus wanted members to get together so they can worship God together, and it didn't matter about the edifice is the word they use when you go to these, how large is your edifice? How many members, they use all these random words. How many members visit? How many members have joined? Bro, get out of my face. The biggest question you should be asking yourself is how many members actually believe in what you talk about, brother? That's, the, that's what you should be asking yourself. Sorry, let me stop. Let me, that's just more internal. I'm having the internal struggles. Now, second, this means that Christians are the people of God, especially when they gather for worship. Now, remember, worship is not a song. It's a lifestyle. The entire group of living in one place. I, have you ever noticed in Acts chapter 2 that they were going from house to house? That, that means that they would move to somebody else's house that had availability to have church. Yeah. But it also designates, like I said already, the universal church. The one thing I want you to understand about this church is it's powerful. Yeah. It's, it's more powerful than we know. And the reason why you come here is because you're supposed to experience what the church can do through its power. Because right there, we get back to the verse. You see how much long I'm taking on each word. Church mattered to me. Peter mattered to me. You're, you're going to get a sermon out of each word. And I'm, I'm about to slow down and, and get you this last one. It says, and my, the church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hades will not overpower. Gates were opportunities to whether exit or enter. Now, be careful with these words. Because in this scripture, I cannot mislead you and say I know which one it is. Because he said the gates, plural, of Hades. That means there's multiple gates where Satan or Hades can enter or not exit. Just careful. So, therefore, when he says the gates of Hades will not prevail, you want, the first thing you should be asking yourself is what is Hades? Hades is very similar to Sheol in the Old Testament. When you look through all the Psalms and you realize he kept saying Sheol, Sheol, Sheol. Sheol was in Hades both represent the fate of all dead, the people who had not experienced God's salvation or his grace or the covenant. So therefore, when he says, hey, the gates of Hades, that means death won't prevail over my church. 
So if we were like, well, Pierre, it has some satanic to it. Yes, it does, because Satan, as we know, wants to conquer and cause death. Hades was also a place they believe held the dead before they went to eternal hell. So therefore, right now, if you say, what is Hades and what is it trying to do? It is trying to what? Cause death within the church. So if it can get you out of the gate or you want to exit the gate on your own, he's saying the power of death is outside of these gates. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is you're like, man, Pierre, why church? And I'm not just talking about physical meetings. Why church? Why church? Because in here is life. But not just life as you want it. Not just life on your favorite scale. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he can bring life to every area of your life. He can bring life to your marriages, your singleness. He can bring life to the places you think are dead. That is a life moment. So therefore, I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is that he said, Peter, I will build my church, and I will build my church upon this rock. And on this rock, will not, Hades will not have what? Power to overcome it. But how did he do that, ladies and gentlemen? Because everybody starts clapping when we talk about singleness and marriage. But you know what he was talking about? His gospel. You know, the only way you can have power over death, oh, death, oh, death, where is your sting? But the only way it doesn't sting you is if what? You have eternal life. Therefore, you will not experience the power of Hades that are at our gates, are waiting for you to exit the gate. The only way for us to experience the beauty of what this verse is talking about is through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And when he died, he gave you, if you accepted this free gift, he gives you life and life eternally. So you're like, Pierre, what is he telling Peter to do? Go preach that gospel. Because if you preach that gospel, nobody will experience Hades. So then I, I look at my church and I look at our church and I say, when's the last time you preached that gospel? It's not up to Pierre Cannons. That was up to you. Because the only way people don't experience that death is through your sharing of the freedom of life. Ah, oh, man, please don't, don't. People overlook it. But then you shouldn't. Because the word overpower means to have the capability to defeat. But then reverse it means that we have the victory over. That means it is impossible through the gospel message for death to win. Because even in your death, you still go and have eternal life. The only people who experience the eternal separation from God is those who go to what? Hell. And if God is life, therefore, when you go to hell and you are eternally separated from him, you are experiencing death. But when you have God who gave you opportunity to experience Jesus through Jesus Christ to experience heaven, that means you have eternal life. So even if death you think wins on this earth, it never is victorious because it has no sting because you go experience eternal life. So even the people who have lost people during this season don't think if they were saved, they are experiencing death. They are only experiencing life. But that's only through the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. So what is he telling Peter? Hades will never win against my church as long as they remember the gospel. The gospel should dramatically affect every Christian in here because it gives you overcoming power. There was a time when, similar to Jordan's story last week, cool story, um, never pulled on another man's shorts, but I'll let him have that. But I had a similar experience. I had done, my dad was the gentle teacher. He didn't just throw us in and say, figure it out. He actually got in the water with us. My mom uh, doesn't experience the water the same way. I don't want to put her out there. Well, she always wanted her kids to be swimmers. So uh, we lived in Katy, Texas. If you know anything about Katy in the 80s, it was Katy in the 80s. So therefore, certain things we didn't need to experience because we didn't want to be the ones that were not the Katy in the 80s. So I'm speaking a lot of code here. So they taught us how to swim. But then my mom made one vital mistake in that. She got overambitious. She said, now I'm going to put you on the swim team. Why? Because I was fast. She didn't know why I was fast, though. 
I was fast because I wasn't breathing and I needed to get to the other side of the pool to pull myself up. She didn't know why. I, they were like, Pierre is blazing fast. I wasn't breathing, ladies and gentlemen. I was dying and I was just trying to get to the other side of the pool. But at one point in the middle of my swim, everybody's cheering me on. I'm on lane one. I remember this like because it was near death. And I was swimming. And another reason why I don't think I was built to swim is because you have to wear underwear in the pool. It's not my favorite thing. Didn't like it. My legs weren't built for that underwear. It's called a Speedo. And my mom put me out there, made me, made me experience a different demographic. And she said, get in there and let's swim. She said, let's, but she can't. Never mind. And so... I jumped in. I held my breath. I got to the middle, ran out of breath. So although I've learned the technique, the life vest was now off. The, the little kickboard they put you in front of, that was gone. I could breathe with the kickboard because you push the kickboard up, down, and you can go up. Life vest, you could breathe it whenever you wanted because you were just floating there. This was the first time I decided to swim on my own. I was going fast. People were cheering my name. I could hear it when I was drowning just a little bit. <laughs> but I think those cheers turned into detrimental screams of panic when they saw me just flailing right in the middle of the pool. Because I forgot my technique. I forgot what I was taught. But most importantly, I didn't know how to swim right. So although I was fast, I was just holding my breath. Some of us are just holding our breath. You come to church just holding your breath. You're not really experiencing any technique. You're just trying to get to the other side of your Sunday. You're just trying to get from one side. You hold your breath during service. Try your best not to fall asleep because everybody can see you in this large sanctuary. And guess what? Say, I'm going to hold my breath and I'm going to make it to the end of the side. Then I'm going to take my Sunday nap. I'm going to eat my collard greens and then I'm going to go to bed again. Ladies and gentlemen, you're just holding your breath. But I'm telling you this right now, and I hope you take this. That's not church. Some of us are going to drown. And if you look after the pandemic and you look at church, you're starting to not live in word. I'm thank God we're alive and we're kicking. But if you look at many churches, they're starting to die. Because all they were doing was swimming with, their, with all their, everybody in the sanctuary was just swimming, getting excited, and just trying to make it to the other side. My prayer for Living Word Fellowship Church, please pray with me on this, is that's not who we are. Like, you don't just come here to get to the other side, but you actually experience church. But you know how you know you're experiencing church? When your life becomes the gospel for somebody else's. That's when you know you have your life vest on because you'll never drown. But not only that, is that you'll experience what this thing called, you will never experience death. So not only will this gospel save you and your family, if they accept the gift, people will start to see you with the life vest on and say, why am I drowning? But they aren't. But I, I have a feeling, doesn't matter how hard you preach, that sooner or later, if Living Word continues to think that we can get away with extra seats and filling them, but no gospel, we could die too. Now, I don't think we're heading anywhere near that because we got a great pastor who leads well. But don't get it confused. Everybody's susceptible. Then I'll give you this last point because it's important. It says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, for me, I, studying this was confusing because guess what pastors use this for? So I don't know if you know this about this verse. The Catholics use this verse to say that the reason for the Pope, y'all know this? That they believe that the Pope is the, the, I guess you would say, the lineage of Peter. So Peter being the rock, that means the Pope is now the rock and can do what I'm fixing to say and do, which is concerning. And then some pastors use this verse and say, look out, congregation, whatever you loose, God's going to hold it, 
and he's going to loosen for you. And every, I've seen preachers preach this for prosperity, meaning if you want God to loosen up his, his treasure in heaven, he's going to loosen it up and shake it all over your house and you get rich. I've, I've seen people say that you can bind things up. You know, people say, I can claim it. I can bind it myself. Lady, ooh, stop. Those are wasted words, ladies and gentlemen. Because guess who he's talking to right now? Peter. You're like, well, Peter, we don't have any binding, loosing power. Be careful with that, ladies and gentlemen. He was an apostle. So when he says you have the keys, he gave Peter the keys. The keys were authority and power, but it was only given Revelations chapter 1, verse 18, where the keys were only through Jesus Christ. Because guess what it says in Revelations chapter 1, verse 18? It says that that authority was given through Jesus Christ, and he says, I'm the one who has the keys to Hades. You know why I thought that was important just for your own knowledge? I know some of y'all, this may not be your favorite sermon. Is because even though Peter got the keys through the church, it was still in Jesus' hand. So guess what every church should lean on? The salvation of Jesus Christ, because it's, it's him who has the key. But moving on, because I know everybody's interested, if all those translations are wrong about loosing and binding, etc., what was that experience for Peter? Now, let me just give you a historical research. You ready for this? When he told Peter that, he was saying, you now have the authority, Peter, to speak on behalf of the Torah and behaviors. Because guess who also had that authority, according to Isaiah? The priests were supposed to be able to speak on behalf of the Torah, and it changed behavior and customs, etc. That the Pharisees had misused this authority. Now he's saying the, the Pharisees no longer have this authority. Peter, you do. And since you are now going to be the leader of the church in the New Testament, I want you to make sure that you have the authority to interpret the Scriptures and speak and give people the understanding of what they need to live for Jesus Christ. And you're like, Pierre, prove it. What was Peter's first step after the ascension of Jesus Christ? He preached at Pentecost, but everybody goes straight to Pentecost. Did you know what happened before Pentecost? The upper room. And right after the ascension, Peter was the one who spoke to the disciples, and he starts to tell them what's going to happen. Guess what also happened when he went? He went to preach at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. Then he went. He started preaching. He had the Council of Jerusalem, uh, Council, yeah, Council of Jerusalem, and he had to fix situations between Jew and Gentile because they were separating themselves. So Peter had the authority to speak. Guess who God gave the vision so that all y'all could eat y'all's red meat? Guess who God gave that vision to? Now, this is when you put perk up and pay attention. Your pork chops was because God gave who a vision? Peter. So that Peter could change the custom so that we can all enjoy four hooved animals. I guess I'm trying to get you to understand is that this was written so that Peter could establish the behaviors and the customs of the New Testament church. So be careful how you interpret this text, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes God has detonated a role for us. And Peter had a role. This is also important because whatever, if you ever look at Ananias and Sapphira, you would realize that Peter had power in the New Testament. So I guess the best thing for you is that we should make sure that we fulfill our role. So what is your role? Ephesians 4.20 would tell you that everyone in this sanctuary has a role. So the question you should be asking ourselves is if we don't do our role, then what is church? Like if you come and leave and fulfill nothing of what God has gifted you with, then what is church? If you go to the pool but only sit on the side, you are not swimming. So if you come to church and you only sit on the side, you are going to get burnt. You need to hop in the water. So I'm asking you nicely, are you actually having church? Because Peter had a role that changed the whole New Testament. And I wonder what everyone in here, what is your role? Because it's not just up to Pastor Cannings and Pierre to grow this church. Here's the thing. I think, hear me out. I'm fixing to be done on time. Hear me out. I think that churches have learned how to grow without people growing. I think 
America's church has found out techniques to get people into church without growing. Meaning if I change my media, if I change my marketing, if I put little clippets out where the pastor sounds really intelligent, smart, and intriguing, then we can fill seats without growth. But you know if I were to really talk to you real quick, you know how Living Word is going to continue to grow? It's by the people in this church spreading the gospel that gives people life, that come to the church because they saw life in you, so therefore they come to the source. So your friends come because they see your life change. They've seen your marriage change. They've seen your singleness change. They've seen things in your life become better. So they're like, hey, man, where do you go to church at? But guess what? They come here and they hear a, a mediocre message from Pierre Cannon's, but they don't care because they have the community that they're worried about. You know what pastors feel pressure every Saturday night? Because they know if they don't preach the perfect message, people ain't coming back. But guess what that is? That's called personality. That's not called church. Because America has learned how to have church without church. So therefore, I come back to you and say, what is your role? Because you have a key. Now, be careful how I say you have the key. The key is only Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And it's only in his hand. So then I ask you this last question. How many of us in this sanctuary are using the correct key? Because if you were or are, where are the people that experience life through you? The last thing about swimming. My dad saw that I was eager to get in the water. I was. Like I said, I grew up in Katy. It's important to this context. Everybody was jumping in. Now, no kid wants this experience, but it's real. Everybody's jumping in, and some people were earlier swimmers than me. I started swimming at age five. Some of these kids were swimming since, you know, they had the resources, you know, the baby swimming techniques where they put the baby and let them float. Some of them had that experience. So I saw all my friends jumping in, and they were splashing and jumping. My dad's looking at me. He bow-legged. It's not fun. Like, he's the only one at the pool with really short shorts and the afro. And we, again, we in Katie. And he, he walks in the pool. Sun so down. Sun no, uh, no running in the pool area. So all my friends, whoosh, whoosh. My, I, so it's, what, it's my turn. I got to. I go to school with some of these kids. It's not my turn to jump. Yeah, wait, no, no. All of a sudden, he reached in the bag and started blowing in them army floaties. <laughs> Hold on, son. So now he's like, well, you can go play in the kiddie pool. Now my behind is the only one in the little three-inch kiddie pool splashing around thinking I'm having a great time. My friend's in the big pool. He over here. Oh, You done yet, Dad? No, son. I got to get your brothers and yours. I want y'all to jump in at the same time. <laughs> I love both of y'all the same. And let me tell you why. Stop telling me why I get the boat. <laughs> because he knew that I couldn't swim. So he had to breathe in the things that would help me stay above water. So Jesus looks at Living Word Fellowship Church and knows that some of us in the sanctuary can't swim. So he keeps blowing into your life so he can, you can experience what it feels like. Now, some of us quick to jump into church, and I love your enthusiasm. Don't think I'm wrong. Please keep coming. I love the fact that you're here, but also remember that Jesus should be, still be blowing into your life. So I don't mind if Living Word has some people who are in the kiddie pool for a little bit until they learn that they can put on their floaties. The problem is you can't be embarrassed that you have floaties on because you're still alive. Some of us jumping in the pool, embarrassing ourselves because we don't even understand the gospel yet. We jumping in the water like we get it. And God's like, wait a second, let me finish blowing into your life. Because then you could have church. My prayer is that everybody enjoys living word, but most importantly, you enjoy his church. So let's have church. Can we close in prayer? I know some of us, this sermon, whether you're online or in person, this wasn't a dig in anybody, but it's truth, right? That 
the church was meeting. The church was physically meeting. The church was, and we, and at some point we have to get to the understanding that the community, the church, the word, the worship, everything that goes into it. Like if we look at Acts chapter two and we start to understand church, we would understand that the reading of the word was necessary. The, the preaching of it was necessary. The, the worship was necessary. The, the breaking of bread is a necessity. So I, I pray that you understand that the structure of living word is based on the binding and loosing of Peter through Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I recognize that some of us have been in church but may not have necessarily, let me say it right, been swimming. So my prayer today for those who are convicted by this message while everybody prays with me, I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself a question, whether online or in person. Is it time for you to actually do church? How many of us have used the excuse that we're here, we're present, but we're not swimming? Some of us have even dangled our feet into the water. You know how many people do when they don't know how to swim. They sit on the edge and they just kick water into other people's faces. But today I'm asking you to jump in for the first time. Today I'm asking you to try to live a life that is according to the gospel because that brings us life. Living word will never die because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter which pastor is here. If the gospel is centric, the gospel will always live. So while you're sitting there and contemplating your decisions, your swimming, I pray that you'll be vulnerable to Jesus saying, you can do more. We can be a living word. While Chris is playing, I want you to spend time in prayer. I'm not really asking for a major come to the altar experience, but I do want God to touch your heart accordingly. Now, I know some of us are in the kiddie pool right now, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But don't let's excuse the kiddie pool for jumping in. My prayer is that you saw and you experienced Jesus blowing into your floaties that you now experience what it feels like to be in the big pool, doing what God has called you to do so people can see how fun it is to be with Jesus Christ. So I, um, so today I'm going to ask those people who are saying, God, I can do more. I can swim now. I understand that I've been coming to church, but not at having church. That I want church not only to be functioning within these four walls, but as you go home, that you are the living stones that go out. That the conglomerate of Jesus Christ goes out to people. That cousins, aunties, friends are changed because you are a living stone, a holy priesthood. That the, your name is changed, but now your role is changing as well. My prayer for those is that, man, Pierre, you're right. I, I changed my name. I don't mind coming, but now I need to change my role that's you today, while Chris sings, I want you to stand and change your role. I want you to stand and say, I will have church, but I'll have real church. Well, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness is born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is part with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we always, whether you're standing or you're sitting, God is still speaking. So it's not like the physical representation of your stand is anything different if you're just verbally or praying and telling God, I need to change church. But in this message itself, there's always more we can do. It's kind of like a marriage. There's always ways in which you can do better. So my prayer is that even if you're sitting, even if this sermon you're saying, hey, I, I know I'm doing my role here, just know that we can always get better at Living Word Fellowship Church. So... I'm going to always give people one more opportunity to say, you know what, Pierre, I want to do church. But I want to do Ecclesia Church. I want to do God's design church that he builds and he designed. One more opportunity to stand. Well, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought away. 
precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness is bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ I want to pray with you Because I'm excited to see how God will use you you're standing because you're saying, God, you can, there's so much more that my life can be for you. There has to be. Because if all it is is being born, going to school, working, and dying, we have missed purpose. The church was supposed to be a living vessel that's not just vibrant on Sundays, but goes out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That people can see your church experience on Sunday every day of your life. That your worship on Sunday is just a physical example. Our physical exuberance of what is internally happening. So God, I thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how much you love us. That you've given us church. That gates of Hades will never overpower the church. That we will never experience death. We will never experience Sheol. All because of your gospel. But I pray that many of us become Peter that people see our lives, see our marriages, see our singleness, see, our, see ourselves on our jobs and say, hey man, there's, there's a life in him. That people will be drawn into a light that shines bright inside of us. And that living world will be a, such a bright place in this world that people have no choice to come out of their darkness and experience this beautiful light. God, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.